it's my lifestyle, it's my lifestyle. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Grounds Crew, a podcast covering all things baseball. We're brought to you by Baseball Lifestyle. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Grounds Crew. As always, before we get started, we ask that you make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Smash the like button, share it, do all that good stuff. We appreciate your support. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram, do all that good stuff. Uh, big day today in baseball. The first game ever to be played, the first major league game to be played in Iowa. At the Field of Dreams movie site, they built a whole new stadium in the middle of the cornfields for it. It looks amazing. They got the throwback jerseys going. I'm, I'm actually very excited for it. I wasn't sure how, because they were going to try and do it, whatever it was, last year. Yep. Um, and it didn't work out, obviously, with COVID. And I, and I wasn't sure how it was all going to look, because it, it kind of seemed like corny at first, like no pun intended. Pun um, all intended. Pun all like. intended. Uh but it, it came out great. They got the throwback uniforms, and, and I'm very excited to see how it goes. Yeah, I, I think it always comes down to does somebody put in a lot of effort into the design and mm -hmm. into the details? Yep. It looks like they put a lot of time and attention into the details. They've done a great job. They've marketed it well. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's just about going out and do it. I saw uh, either high school, college game. Yeah, they played. I, th I think it was a high school game on like the actual movie field, which is awesome. And, and a kid crushed a, a grand slam into the corn. Into the corn, and yeah. like you see in the outfielder walking into the corn to like bring the ball back and mm -hmm. it's like this is what it that's, really was yeah, like this it was, was all worth thing. it just for that just for that <laughs> moment uh i saw a uh a rod did like him walking into the cornfield mm -hmm. there's like a video on his social they had uh, they had kevin costner there yesterday like just kind of playing ball on the actual field and doing stuff and like just kind of that just ties everything together and just looked awesome uh so super excited about that and he's like you said they really marketed it well and, and put it out there in a very cool way and made sure to call back as much as they could to the movie and i think that's exactly what you needed to do i, I really wasn't sure how they were going to kind of go about that but it, they've killed it so far yeah, and again, it's just more good stuff that, that baseball is doing mm -hmm. to promote the game and make more excitement, Yep. right? And I think at the end of the day, that's the biggest thing is like this is a way of being classic but also a way of not being stuck up about everything, mm -hmm. right? There's history to this field. There's history to the, what this is. So it plays to the history of the game, mm -hmm. but also it's something that is still new. It's still something that's, you know, fun and enjoyable. And this is what we talked about uh, – I forget who we were talking with that uh, the All Star game, and we were saying like, how do you make it fun but stay true to the game, mm -hmm. right? And I think this is something where you can stay true to the game but enjoy it, yep, and have fun. Because you know, Field of Dreams is more of a, it's like a movie that every baseball fan needs to watch. But I would say more often than not, people older than the current generation are more like into that movie and the younger kids are more into the sandlot or movies like that um so i think this is a good way to kind of like bridge the gap there and yeah. kind of give people the hey look this is a true classic baseball movie that you just have to watch and, and really like sit down and understand like the meaning behind it and why it was so uh groundbreaking for the time it was just uh they, they've killed it killed it great job so while we're on the subject of you know just legendary moments and things that haven't happened in a while uh Adam Wainwright yesterday threw a Maddox, which we haven't seen in a while, which is a complete game with less than 100 pitches. Which seems like something that should happen more now because of the fact so many guys have so much swing and miss in their bats, mm -hmm. right? Um, but still, super impressive, right? To, to go through and, and get your 27 outs and, mm -hmm. and go, go to what everything is. 
and be able to do it in less than 100 means that you were throwing, right, less than four pitches a batter. Yep. Right? Super efficient. So ultimately, when you look at that, like, crazy. Yep. Uh, so super cool. Um, do, you, I, do you think that that's better than what Corbin Burns did? So Corbin Burns, 10Ks in a row. Do I think it's better? Yes. And let me tell you why. For two, first off, though, I do, I do kind of. It, I was torn because I like, I love watching the power pitchers now. Yeah. And unfortunately, most of those guys make it six innings on average with a hundred pitches. You know, listen, they get 12, 13 strikeouts. That's great, but yep. you don't see a lot of complete games anymore. Um, and I personally, as a pitcher, enjoy watching the the finesse that goes into doing what adam wainwright just did like you truly have to be locked in and super efficient and hitting every single spot and doing all that stuff to get batters out and like you said less than on an average four pitches per at bat um but what corbin burns did is also insane because the amount of dominance you have to have to go out there and strike out 10 guys in a row is is ridiculous and that, i think that's the biggest thing like he had 15 k's total in his start uh yep. but he got 10 in a row is three innings worth of baseball where nobody hit the ball. Yep. Like nobody touched it. So like that, that to me is super, super impressive. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you. Like, I think that it's a, it's a pick your poison or, or what's your favorite flavor of which one do you think is more dominant? Mm -hmm. Um, Wainwright throwing a Maddox also has to do his defense, picked him up. Yep. He put the ball in play. His defense made sure nothing got past him. Like, that's old-school baseball at its finest. Mm -hmm. I think this is – in the NFL, uh, you you always see that they – the team that switches up to a new way of offense first gets a season or two of outsized gains, mm -hmm. right? And then you have to start seeing it like, hell, okay, should we stay with it? So, like, the Chiefs were the first team to go super, super wide, spread out, throw it, have a quarterback who can crush it. Mm -hmm. Now Buffalo Bills do the same thing. You have all these guys who can do the, do that. So the team that can run the football, a team like Lamar Jackson running the football like crazy and then running for 3,000 yards, the Titans having it, they're winning games because everybody else is built to now beat these high-flying offenses and mm -hmm. not the ground and pound. So do you think that Pitchers who pitch to contact and get stuff like this are going to start to be outsized value, right? Like Wainwright's an older pitcher, but mm -hmm. look at a guy like Stroman. Yep. Stroman pitches a lot to contact. He's having a really, really good year. He's getting the advantage of a lot of the swing and missing guys' guys' bats. Mm -hmm. It's just that he's getting even more ground balls. Right. The Mets dove even deeper by getting Baez that their defense is going to be important for them in their infield, yep. right? We have range. We have a, They have Lindor and Baez in the same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. they, they, it's going to be hard to get a hit on one side of the field. So then Stroman plays up. Yep. Um, but Stroman's going to be underrated because he's not the strikeout, flamethrowing guy. He's mm -hmm. not going to necessarily make the money because that's not what guys look for. Right. Um, so that's why I like the Wainwright thing, just because it looks like He's zigging while everybody else is zagging. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, well, he's I definitely had that. to adjust his game as he's gotten older, and and I, and I think it's good. It's obviously like you're you're getting things like this, and you have to do a different strategy than the, the Corbin Burns of the world, who can just fire 98 and then also have this nasty outreach. Yep. When Pedro went from being 99 mile an hour to being you know 93 miles an hour, mm -hmm. he had to finesse people more, and he still could. Yep. He wasn't as dominant, but he was good. 
Right. Um, but speaking speaking about the pitchers, so when we started this year and we started this podcast, no hitters were like every day. Yep. Uh, then we went through the spider tack era, mm-hmm. and that got shut down. And and now pitching's much more erratic. Mm-hmm. Having a game like Connor Burns, you see every so often the ten strikeouts in a row. That's a part and parcel to guys just trying to swing for the fences all the time now. Yeah. Uh, but l- last night the the Red Sox put twenty on the race, and pitching's pitching's not what it was. Mm-hmm. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how hey arms are going to get more tired, offenses are going to pick up. That's why I like a deal like Schwarber going to them because all of a sudden these guys' velocities in the in the the back end of your rotation. The guys who were throwing 94, 95, who were okay starters at your three, four, five spot, mm-hmm. are now maybe you know getting exhausted to the 92, 93 consistently, mm-hmm. and now these hitters start to tee off. Yeah. And does your can your offense carry? It's why the Yankees start to look good on the back half of a season. Right. They're built to hit the ball. So as the pitching starts to decline due to volume, mm-hmm. the hitting starts to succeed and starts to overcome and starts to do more stuff. Um, what's your take on pitching overall for this season? It, it, it is it is it one of the best pitching years or do you think that it's gonna end up being a mediocre thing when all is said and done um no i i still think it's one of the best pitching years ever regardless of yes the hitters maybe what in whatever state they're in but the pitchers are still executing at an extremely high level um unfortunately with jacob Degrom's injury he's probably not going to win the cy young but still the nl cy young race is insane. The amount of the, the guys at the top, Bueller, Zach Wheeler, I was talking about it last night with somebody. Like he, Everybody's got a ton of strikeouts, really solid ERAs. We're talking about lots of no-hitters. Um, and you're seeing guys who may have been kind of towards the back half of their careers starting to kind of figure out different things and getting more confidence. You're talking about like a Lance Lynn. Guy's yeah. an older guy, but definitely a candidate for the Cy Young this year. I mean, yeah. he's been absolutely dominant. Carlos Rodon had a career resurgence this year. Unfortunately, he's hurt right now. Um, but I, like th- that that duo right there, they're going to take their pitching staff and carry them to the playoffs and deep into the playoffs, I'd imagine. Um, so I think pitching's been huge this year, and we're talking about who's going to ha- be the difference maker in the playoffs. And you look at a lot of the teams who are, like, most certainly going to be in it you're going to see like the brewers you're going to see the dodgers those guys have top of the line arms that i think are going to be the like the absolute game changers when it comes to who comes out on top um and that's that's why we said that's why we also said right like i've been critical of the yankees moves overall Mm -hmm. because again i've stated i feel like they made regular season moves that will make them better in a regular season but when you get to the best games your pitching mm. is what's going to be the thing and they didn't do anything to upgrade pitching substantially and now they have way too many bats yeah um and i i feel like everybody who acquired pitchers set themselves up to win mm-hmm. um but their moves definitely are helping them you can for see sure. it right now they're gonna have a really good shot at that wild card and who knows maybe they do something miraculous and win the division um but i, I agree with you I, i'm definitely I would have. I know they're they're getting Severino back, but he's always a question mark, especially after the amount of time he hasn't played. Um, so I guess that's kind of their thought process, like like the Mets and not getting anybody with the assumption that Syndergaard's coming. But you never know. But I mean, listen, their pickup of Gallo and Rizzo has definitely paid off so far. For sure. But definitely curious how Severino does. He should be back within the next week or so. So 
big question mark there. Big question mark, and we'll see. Yeah. Um, and also kind of moved for the for the playoffs. Uh, Fernando Tatis, he hurt his shoulder again. I guess he re-subluxed it yep, or something yep, like yep, that. Yep. Um, but the Padres seem like they're done with this whole shoulder thing. They don't want it to keep happening. So it looks like they're trying to move him to center field um, in an effort to kind of just preserve the health there and just assume that he's not going to make as many diving plays. And there's just less opportunity for him to – constantly be injuring it on the ground and hitting it right banging on so it looks like they're moving Cronenworth over to shortstop and Frazier slots in there at second and when they first made the Frazier move it was like well where's he gonna go and now all of a sudden it's all playing out correctly so so this then becomes my question is this a permanent move that it is a great question it is a great question because also you made these trades and mm -hmm. you made these moves and you made all this stuff and you now have what you would assume is a is an infield that makes sense. So Frazier at second, right? Like Cronenworth, mm -hmm. whatever you're going to think he's going to be, even if he's just average at shortstop, uh, to keep Fernando Tatis in the lineup. Is this the permanent move because of the fact that his health has shown that it, it might not hold up? Uh, that That is a great question. And some, something else that I noticed as well that hasn't been – I guess I maybe mean, I'm sure they considered it, but it hasn't been done yet. Moving Machado over to shortstop, also a great option. So they have they have a lot of people that can play in there right now. Um, definitely curious if they if they decide to stick him out there long term. I'm sure they'll kind of be contingent on how he plays and if he's actually comfortable. He's with a that. freak athlete. He's going to kill him. Exactly. I'm not really concerned about it. I saw some of his like practice video and he's robbing home runs already and doing all that stuff. Not really concerned about it. Um, I think if anything it. it it opens opportunity for them to have Cronenworth, Frazier, and Tatis in the lineup at all times. It makes um, their team vastly better, especially in a national league where you don't have a DH and you can't just stick somebody there all the time. Yep. At least for this season, uh, you have a situation where you want his bat in the lineup as often as you can. This allows them to keep all of these guys and mm -hmm. maximize team and maximize at bats. Uh, love the move. Yep. And again, AJ, AJ Preller just looks even more now like you know we're all out here playing checkers and he's playing chess absolutely he, he's anticipating he's moving his face of the game shortstop off his position uh and like nobody's batting an eye like could you imagine going back in the day and and them moving Derek jeter that right new, now they needed to, be up they arms. needed to move jeter multiple yep. times because he was a horrible shortstop <laughs> um and they just never did because that's that's been that do do you look at this as Preller's just got cojones do you look at this as the analytics can justify it enough and players are more bought in on where they're going to be like Tatis has his money does he care where he is no probably not and also I was reading this uh in an article this was a plan in in previous they were trying to get Lindor in 2019-2020 and this was already like hey Tatis you're you're going out to center field and yes. we're bringing in Francisco Lindor so I'm sure this conversation has been had before yeah. I wouldn't even be surprised if that winter he went out and took fly balls anyway just yeah. for fun um so yeah I completely agree with you love the move I think it's great for the team and hopefully he stays healthy and, and they keep kicking there who else needs to move off their position in the league if you Ooh. could go and you could say hey I'm, I, this guy plays x but he should be playing Y. 
right? Who are people that you think that you look around at? Like we've joked around, Brian McCann might look better at first base than James he does McCann. It, or James McCann. Why? <laughs> every I always, time. every single time, every time. I, I am, I'm like, my brain goes like back into Listen, Brian McCann's a goat. Ba- back into the early two thousands, every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so why, why, like McCann, we've said like looks better at first base. Like that actually he might be yeah. a, a future position for mm-hmm. the dude. Is, are there other guys that you look at in the league and you're like, man, I wish this Sorry, guy. <laughs> Would be something else. <laughs> um, partner ooh, technical difficulties. Partner technical difficulties. I'm moving around. Um, hmm, it's a good question. I mean, I guess you could say Dom Smith. If we're saying with the Mets, he also probably shouldn't be in left field, but he's played average there. Well, no, he's, the, the analytics now say he's an above average left fielder. That's he good. gets the balls, he runs, he does everything else. So, like, he's there. Mm. I'm with you, though. I think his, especially as a lefty, Right, him mm-hmm. being at first base and how lefties play at first base, I actually think that he would be a, a better first baseman overall mm-hmm. for the Mets if he was able to be there. Um, but that's just not possible with what they have in in Alonso. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are always guys that you look at and you're like, man, I wish that this guy like didn't. Because the guy, one of the guys again, staying in New York that I, I would love to see him move to a different position is Glaber Torres. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I am not like every Yankees fan I know is telling me how Glaber was a was an MVP candidate level player mm-hmm. and he was all this stuff, and uh, the guy who he was comped against early in his career was Ahmed Rosario, and they were both right there in the same conversation of the top shortstops in the minors and all this stuff. Ahmed came up and immediately had to play shortstop in New York with the pressures and things that being a New York shortstop even have. Uh, and Glaber got to be off position, and he got to just focus on his hitting. Now you've seen Glaber's hitting just go off a cliff yep. because he's having to play shortstop every day. Uh, I'd love to see Glaber as a guy who moves off, mm-hmm. and whether that's a left field position or that's third base, second base, something else. It's probably one of those, yeah. if I had to guess, especially if he I'd ever gets to see. moved to a, to a new team. I, I wouldn't imagine he plays shortstop unless there's there's a dramatic uh, change in defense. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure who I could think of off the top of my head that I definitely would want to move, but I'd imagine it's somebody at, at like the shortstop or maybe the third base position that maybe he needs to move over to first. Like Vlad, early in, in his career, they moved him off third immediately because he just – wasn't mobile enough there and, and I think it's been great for him he's obviously having an MVP quality year unfortunately it's not going to be an MVP year because Otani exists but I like that was a great move in my opinion when yeah. they did that um but yeah I can't think of anybody off the top of my head at this moment um yeah I don't know that's a good question I'm definitely gonna look into that after the show um so other historical things other historical things yes Miguel Cabrera is almost about to hit 500 home runs so <clears throat> Miggy's an easy Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, that was my question for you. Yes, I think he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Because I, I think that people have even forgotten now as time has moved on uh, how good Cabrera really is. Yeah, my, especially my, early on. My other, my other craziness is, is that this is a dude who from 2004 through truly full season 2016 was a 30 plus home run guy right so so you're looking at a nice like 12 13 year stretch where he was a 30 plus home run guy Mm -hmm. five home hundred home runs is so many home runs yeah i don't know how in the craziness that we got to that 500 was the line of demarcation for hall of fame 
Mm-hmm. Because Miggy's a, a, a has been a stone cold lead pipe lock as a Hall of Famer since 2016. Easily, yeah. So like at at that point in time, what's what is even 500? Because I mean, honestly, you could probably even go earlier than that. Oh yeah, as of I, like 20, 2012, he led the league with 44, and that was after nine years in a row of hitting 30 plus. Yep. Like, and also during that time. You're looking at a time when him and Pujols both existed in the yep. league, absolutely mashing home runs. And, and it, I think the thing about Miggy that people really, really like, just—I I think he's—he doesn't get enough credit. His career batting average is three eleven, and that's with the fact for the last five years he struggled to be over, over three hundred. You know, yeah. since 2017, you got a two forty nine, two ninety nine, two eighty two, two fifty, two fifty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his worst year of his career. He's 38. I get that, mm-hmm. right? Like you've been playing a lot. He he came up. He was 20. Um, so he's been in the in the in the game a really really long time. Yeah. He's still over a 700 OPS as a as a guy playing every single day. Mm-hmm. He's he's a Hall of Famer, easy peasy. My question is, what position do you think of him as? Ooh. Because I think that's the key difference for me in terms of where is his place in all-time greatness. Because in my mind, I think about him as a third baseman. Yeah. Then I don't know when he made the switch over. I, I'd i imagine it was like later on with Detroit. Had to have been much later in his career. Yeah, but... And then he was DHing a little bit more. He wasn't mm-hmm. doing – but like Miggy also started as an outfielder with the Marlins. Mm-hmm. And then switched over to third base, which is like the reverse of what typically happens. Yeah. You don't usually have outfielders come in. like, mm-hmm. And now he's at first because, again, he's older. If he's a third baseman, where does he exist as all-time third basements? I think he's definitely up there. I know I've seen a ton of interviews with different pitchers and stuff, and they always say that he's one of the hardest outs they've ever His hit faced. tool is even, unreal. Even like later on in his career, like he's just – one of if not the most professional hitter there is his hit tool um, is disgusting it's ridiculous like well, he had some 343 almost 350 batting average seasons like he led the league he was triple crown guy multiple times like yeah they, they, this this is maybe the the i don't want to say the best hitter at third base ever but tell me the better third baseman with a bat lifetime i don't know i would definitely put him in like top five easily who who you got above him just off the top 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 of dome right do, like do you think he's better um why am i why am i why am i i'm bringing up a rod so a rod to me a rod to me is a shortstop yeah. he moved to third base because new york would riot and burn the place down if they touched Derek jeter yeah um and then he became a gold glove third baseman because he had to cover so much extra ground to protect the later year Derek Jeter from embarrassing himself in the hole. Um, so, like... Well, I'm going to bring up ESPN's list of top ten. So, they have... The official ESPN list. Yeah. This is not endorsed by Baseball Lifestyle. This or is, not, this is not the grounds crew list. Okay. So, start, they have... Start. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just who their number one is. They have Mike Schmidt as number one. Which isn't I don't I don't hate that. I so again if you have Mike Schmidt as number one, then you are officially saying that A Rod was a shortstop, not a third baseman. Yeah, his stats aren't crazy. George Brett at two. Eddie Matthews. 
starters. Chipper Jones at four. So Chipper Jones is the guy who that's I was just thinking about. Yeah. Miggy's better than Chipper. Yes. So like I'm I'm at the the point now where Chipper's m- career stats: three oh three, twenty seven hundred hits, four sixty eight home runs, sixteen hundred ribbies with a nine thirty OPS. Miggy's a better hitter and he's a better player lifetime. Then yeah. Chipper was. Now Chipper's a Hall of Famer, right? Chipper's yep. great. Yep. I, I'm here for Tri- Chipper is absolutely a stud. Um, so they've got Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt's co- career batting average is 267. His career OPS is 908. Uh, he definitely was a heavy power hitter for a long time. Mm-hmm. Multiple 40 home run seasons. Uh, he was he played a career that was relatively the same length. You can't even count his age 22 season because. He only got uh, 13 games played. The next year, he immediately came out with 18, uh, then was 36, 38, 38, 38, 21, 45, 48, 31, 35, 40, 36, 33, 37, 35. And he had 35 as a 37-year-old um, in, in 1987. I, I think that Miggy's got to be in the conversation of... He is easily top three. Just looking off of base stats right now, he is easily top three, if not two or one and and that's my thing like so what are you looking at him as and what are what position are you gonna gonna put him as because if you look at him as a third baseman a lot of people will say hey defense matters so so much mm -hmm. in terms of what you have at that position um does he have a gold glove miggy does not have gold gloves okay can i also just point out baseball reference has him soon as he went to Detroit playing 143 games in 2008 at first base. So I would say he's been a first baseman longer. He's been a first baseman longer. See, that's why I was kind of trying to, like, recall, like, when the change was. So it's been a long time. So you could even say he might go in as a first baseman. So so if he goes in in as a first baseman, then he's not number one, right? Yeah. Because his power numbers then don't show up the same as other first basemen. My question is, where do we put him? Because the guy who is low-key, maybe the greatest first baseman ever, is Pujols. Probably, yeah. And, and we're... we're, we're oh, okay. Here we go. ESPN has him ranked as number five first baseman all time. Okay. And who is above him? Jimmy Fox, Albert Pujols, Stan Musial, and Lou Gehrig. So Stan and Lou are not better than Pujols. And and it's anybody, a different time. There's and, a I don't care about there. different time. I don't care about bias. I don't care about anything else. There is not a world where Albert Pujols is not the best first baseman in history. Again, we've said on this show before, during his first 10 years versus Mike Trout's first 10 years, Albert Pujols was a better player. Guys, Pujols was better than Trout. And we're trying to say Trout might be the best player ever. He's in that conversation. We are neglecting Pujols. This is blaspheming. This is out of control. I'm not here for it. I refuse. Hit, so the rookie rookie year, age 21, Albert Pujols hit 37 home runs and 47 doubles. His OPS was over 1,000 as a 21-year-old. Guys, I Tatis, all these guys, yeah, they were up at 19 and 20. They had experience. Mm. His first year, come on the on on the scene, hold my beer, batted 329. He didn't bat below 300 until he was drum roll. 31 years old, he batted 299. How many he years only, later is that? He only had a 906 OPS that year. <clears throat> 
That's how many seasons in? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. His eleventh year in the league is the first time he didn't bet over three hundred. That's nuts, guys. His his career batting average has dropped to two ninety seven on the back of the fact that he's got a one ninety eight this year, a two twenty four the year before that, a two forty four, a two forty five, a two forty one. Like Pujols has been old for a while now. In 2015, in 2015, he was an all-star. He was an all-star. And he didn't need to be an all-star. He had a 787 OPS that year. He hasn't been the 1,000 OPS guy since that year. But like when he was his best self, there's nobody who you can tell me was better than Pujols. Absolutely not. And then, yeah, this is my, 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 my point of why I hate baseball's like Hall of Fame credentials. Mm-hmm. He's then had to play a decade of time to get to the accumulation stats. Right? Because he had to yeah. accumulate more seasons. 2015 when he had a 7 uh a 787 OPS, mm-hmm. he still hit 40 home runs but only 22 doubles. He just wasn't jogging out of the box anymore. Yep. Right? He still the home run power was still there. He's still cranking shots. So he's at 676 home runs. I I, I don't know where Anybody can tell me that there's a better guy. And, like, I get that, like, there's a historical reference of Lou Gehrig and all that stuff. Mm. Guys, man, the 10-year domination that Pujols put on his resume is better than anybody else's. Yep. Like, I, I don't I don't even think that the 10-year run Barry Bonds went on is really a better a better run than what you had with Pujols. Those are those are definitely comparable and we can make that a whole separate podcast. And that we're going to have to we're going to have to run that one back. Um, we're going to have to run that one back. But that's yeah. what I was saying to you the the Miggy thing with him you get to like 2012 and he's already had something that you could call a Hall of Fame career. So, and that's only like half of his career in. Like you were saying with uh, with Pujols. So, which again goes back to I hate the accumulation stats because mm-hmm. the reality is a player that I could match up in that time frame against Miggy and against Pujols mm-hmm. is a guy like David Wright. Mm-hmm. And David Wright, during a, a 10-year run, was a multi-time gold glover from his age 21 season until his age 30 season, right? So in a 10-year span, mm-hmm. David Wright was 14, 27, 26, 30, 33, 29. Then he started to drop off because of injuries. Yep. But, like, he was a five-time consecutive all-star, gold-glove player. Here's a guy who had a great run of being one of the better. He'll never be a Hall of Famer. Nope. Like, never be a Hall of Famer. He'll just be a, a great player. But there was a moment in time where it was him and Alex Rodriguez at third base battling for who's the best third baseman in the Absolutely. game. Um, and, and that's just where, I, I, to me, like, you, you, you lose so many all-time greats because they only play 10, 11 years in baseball. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't play till you're 40, it's hard to get to the accumulation numbers to achieve Hall of Fame status. Right. And I think that MLB has got to separate themselves from that and go, what was peak dominance? At peak dominance, nobody can lay claim that they were a better player than Pujols. And then there's some guys, like just using this the NFL because they just had their induction, there are guys who have, like what, like eight-year careers and get in the Hall yep. of Fame? Yep. Again, the, 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 the no, Hall of Fame. I know the, the longevity in the sport is like – looked at differently oh but the 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 two guys that i'll give you in recent memory who have made it to the hall of fame who don't have careers that are substantial is uh terrell davis running back from the denver broncos has a 2000 yard season on his career that dude played six years 
Wow. But when he was at his peak, he was more than I think anybody had ever seen. The other guy was Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner was playing in arena football and bagging groceries. And then he, late in his life, became the quarterback for the, for the at the time, St. Louis Rams. Mm-hmm. And, Make a movie about him. And Kurt Warner then goes, wins a whole bunch, but then gets popped out, goes to the Giants, is a good player for the Giants. The Giants start off mediocre. So they bench Kurt Warner for Eli Manning. Kurt Warner then goes to the Arizona Cardinals and goes to another Super Bowl. And goes to another Super Bowl with a completely different team. But he didn't make his his starting role, 1999 Kurt Warner, mm-hmm. was 28. He played from 28 to 38. In that time, he his QB record was only 67 and 49. But the dude at the time that he played his first year as a starting quarterback in the NFL, 4,353 yards, 41 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. The next year, he missed a bunch of games due to injury. The team went 8-3. and three. He threw for 3,521 and 18. He had a little regression. Then he threw 4,800 yards, 36 touchdowns. Then he had a bad year. They moved on from him. He had injuries, everything else. Mm-hmm. Had one season with the Giants. Then goes to Arizona, and his last two, three years in Arizona, he was around a 4,000-yard-a-year quarterback with 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, and they won a whole bunch of games. The, the dude's career, his peak at the time versus who he was against, he was the best quarterback in the NFL. He was, he was, he was Tom Brady good at mm-hmm. winning games when he was in the NFL. But he only did it, his real, real peak was five or six years. And that's the point. The NFL looks at, were you dominant? If yes, you have a shot. Mm-hmm. Baseball, what if a guy is the best player? Like, if Fernando Tatis right, puts up another six years where he's 330, 30 home runs, killing it, crushing it, and then he has a tragic injury, he never goes to the Hall of Fame. But his numbers are going to end up in a bubble multi-time all-star, all these different things, all this different stuff. If Mike Trout's career is over today, where do you put him? Oh, he's a Hall of Famer. How many but seasons is he in? He is in year 11. Okay, but and this is this was my follow-up question and I'm glad that you saw that I just looked up Mike Trout. Yep. Great segue. Everyone's great segues. Um I feel like people have been saying for a while he's already a Hall of Famer. Now, I'm curious at what point did he reach that? Yes. How early? Um, now, he's been an all-star uh, one, two, three, like nine times, nine out of the 11 years. Yeah. And it was like eight in a row. He was MVP twice, MVP three times, I should say, uh, rookie of the year, silver sluggers, all this stuff. I would say, and this is just for me, he, I could see people saying he was already a Hall of Famer in year like seven or eight. In in year seven or eight, was that his third MVP? Yes, his eighth year was his third MVP. So after year eight, he's an MVP, or so he's a Hall. His of Famer. ninth year, excuse me, his ninth uh, so, year. So after his ninth year, he's a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. Why is it different? But so here's the thing, right? Like. Why now, granted, he also has like ridiculous stats in those. Oh, times. for for sure, for sure, I'm I'm with you. But like, why is it then that the next level down from a guy like him mm-hmm. is you have to play third, you have to play twenty years. 
Yeah, no, that's interesting. Right, because like, Pujols probably was a Hall of Famer after 2010. Then. Yeah, so that was that was exactly what I was gonna say. His like, if you look at it just like we're just going off home runs because I think it's an easy stat to work with. He has very similar numbers to like Pujols and Cabrera from year two to year like eight, nine. Yeah. Just 30, 27, 36, 41, yeah. 30. Like, What's the difference mashing. in Pujols? Also rookie of the year. Also a three-time MVP. Has two gold gloves. Six-time silver slugger. NLCS MVP. Also two World Series rings. Mm. And that's by year what? I, I don't even remember by year what, but I mean, he he won all his World Series with St. Louis. So ultimately you're looking at his last year in St. Louis was 2011. So from 2001 to 2011, he won three MVPs. So he's been a Hall of Famer that long. Yeah. So what's then the drop-off? What's then the line? Like what when becomes was, the demarcation of my stats were good enough in my When first was half? Miggy a, 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 a Hall of Famer? When was Miguel Cabrera a Hall of Famer? By 2012. When he when he no actually I'll give it ready 2013 because he won a triple crown because he's a two time MVP, eleven time All Star, four batting titles, has a World Series ring. He has been in he has been a MVP since That's he's 30, or he's been a Hall of Famer since he's at least 30. Yeah. So that was nine years ago. So, like, the 500 home runs doesn't even make sense. And if you even, if anybody ever had a conversation about Miggy's not a Hall of Famer, you're you're drunk. Like, you you couldn't even go there. Mm -hmm. And if some, oh, well, first baseman didn't hit 500 home, no, stop. Stop. He dominated the league for a decade. If Mm -hmm. anybody dominates, if you're the best player in, in baseball for one season, I have to think that you're close to Hall of Fame status because there's so many players who swing the bat. To be an M- the MVP of the league once, if you then have borderline all-star numbers five years before and five years after, how are you not? Because there's guys in the in the sh- there's guys who are who are in the Hall of Fame who were worse players mm-hmm. always, never won MVPs, never won Cy Young awards, but accumulated stats. The guy, uh, one of the guys who comes to mind, who who's just like one of the the Balco guys, and I I don't remember his career, like perfectly, is Rafael Palmiro, right? Like Ra- Rafael Palmiro is somebody who everybody was like, oh, this guy's gonna be a Hall of Famer, like he's close, he's in that ballpark, mm-hmm. and then it comes out that he has all this stuff. That guy is a four-time All Star, three-time Gold Glover, no World Series, no anything else, but he hit 560 home runs. Mm-hmm. Because he played from the time he was, and this is all out of whack, uh, he played from 21 to 40. Bro, you accumulated the numbers. And Mm -hmm. again, he hit 18 home runs the last year he played baseball. But when I look at his numbers, he never was the super dominating guy. 1998, 1999, when we know he was taking steroids and we know guys were juicing the ball out of there, Mm. he hit 43 and 47. Yep. But and like, he was an all-star those two years, but, too. But when, and those were two of his all-star years, right? Yeah. But when you look at those numbers comparable to who he was against, mm-hmm. you weren't better than Mark McGuire. You weren't better than Sammy Sosa. Right. Right? And there were other guys. Like even I think like Ken Griffey was, was more home runs than him at that point in time. Like, mm-hmm. 
so Palmiro to me, no, like he's not, but he played so long that he's got better numbers than Miggy from a home run stance. He's never been a better player than Miguel Cabrera. And like I hate that that guy is considered in that in that wheelhouse just because he has these accumulation stats, but he never mm-hmm. dominated the league. Yeah. I, I you dominate the league at any point in time. That and that's again that's what what brings me back to a guy like David Wright. When you look at peak David Wright, he was winning the gold glove every other year. He finished second in the MVP voting multiple times. Like that dude is a is a they were in, they were they were right here on the cusp of a mm-hmm. World Series. Like you're this close to you dominated the league at a moment, but he has no hope. And Rafael Palmiro, who wasn't as dominating at his position, at his stuff, at his time, is closer. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, it's unfortunately that it's just baseball's Hall of Fame thing is more wide in in what people actually look at as what encompasses the Hall of Famer. Um, Do you agree with it? I I definitely like the thinking more of hey if you had a shorter career but you were a god during that time i think it should be looked at more i think if otani let's say if otani was just an average pitcher and hit 40 home runs for five years and but pitch but had a 3-2 era yep i think you could absolutely consider it because it's it's unheard of what he was doing in that in that uh light of being able to do both things but and, then, and like let's say his career ended up being seven years and he did that and yeah he, he does what he's doing right now I, I think you should at least look at it and say this is this is a very compelling argument this guy is a hall of famer because he did what nobody else could do if he's able to be some semblance of now if he's able to be let's let's just go around a sub four era pitcher mm. right and he's able to be a 270 30 plus home run hitter through his age 31 season is Otani a Hall of Famer so how many years would that be so he has this is year three technically for him Mm -hmm. right so like this year would be in and he's age 26 so it's five more years Mm -hmm. plus this year plus what he did two years ago uh because what, what he did two years ago even was what we talked about the reason why I felt he's a guy who was going to make a leap was in 2018 when he first came to the league he had a 925 OPS then in year two he had a 850 OPS last year was coming back from the injury so 2019 he missed time because of the injury and then and then 2020 he was coming back from it right. so you you had like that lull in between those two moments um those years still will be accumulations. You're going to look at that if his four years in the league, just from a hitting standpoint, he's going to have an 850 plus OPS in multiple of them. And he already in four years as an MLB player, he's got 85 home runs. Yep. So he's hitting, if he's going to finish this year, let's say he's going to get close to 90 career home runs in, in what amounts to three full seasons. So in three full seasons, he's averaging 30 home runs a season. Mm-hmm. If for the next five years, he's 30 to 40, right? That's going to give him another 150 home runs. He'll be over 200 home runs, and he'll be a pitcher who gets close to what in strikeouts, what in wins, what in ERA. Um, that's my question. Like, mm-hmm. he, he that's, that's borderline the, do, the domination. Yeah. 
And you know what I think it is too? There's so many stats that are that go into what people see as a Hall of Famer that people could just start nitpicking at things. Like I was talking to somebody about Otani being an MVP this year. Yeah. And I was like, hey, listen, he's doing what nobody's doing. Well, you know, he could get his average up a little bit. Oh, he could do this. What do you mean? Look at look at it as a whole. This is ridiculous, regardless of if his average is 260 or 280. Like, I, and I think that also has something to do with it, and not even just for Miggy, but in general, is that there are so many things for people to say, oh, this guy was better, so eh, he shouldn't be in. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and uh, we've, we've said, and, and Otani's batting average continues to drop a little bit, mm-hmm. and how much of it is him getting exhausted from doing both things? How much is it that he's had to carry the team because Trout's been out, Rendon's been out, Walsh has been out? Right? How much has it been that the the All Star game? How much attention was placed on him that just wore him out and got him like, yeah. hey, everything's on set. He's going to finish the season with a 900 plus OPS and a potentially sub three ERA. It, it he's he's the MVP of the season, and that comes back to being my point. He's going to be the MVP next year. Let's assume he has protection because he's got uh, Trout in the lineup, Rendon in the lineup, Walsh in the lineup more more fully. Mm-hmm. If they can get a pitcher on that team to go and support these guys, they drafted twenty-two of them, so <laughs> they they've got to be in a conversation that they they should win some next year. He might be just as good as a pitcher, and his other counting stats might be better because he's going to get more fastballs. You can't go off speed to him because mm-hmm. if you walk a guy, you got Trout coming up. If you walk a guy, you got Walsh coming up. You, Trout's already on, right? Like hey, like whatever it is, is these guys are going to protect him and offer him. That he's going to get to see more of the pitches he likes. Yeah, I think I definitely could see it, especially in his most recent few games. You could see his swings have been a little like more wild. He hasn't had as yeah. good command of the zone. He's at the plate. Um, yeah, I think he's getting a little exhausted. He kind of hadn't hit any home runs recently. He hit one last night. Yep. So he's up to thirty-eight now, still leading the league. Um, I, yeah, I think he's definitely getting a little exhausted. I, I could definitely see that, especially with his with his plate discipline. Um, but it's. Still unheard of what he's been doing. And, and that's why, for me, if Otani's able to achieve this in the modern game for five seasons after this, mm-hmm. and he's even 80% of the player he is now, you've got to start having a conversation of potential Hall of Fame because what I look at as Hall of Fame is this person needs to be immortalized and remembered. Yep. Right? And if you need to immortalize and remember a moment in time, which is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Hall of Fame is because no matter what happens to the other stats, the other numbers, you're who you were as a player, right? You'll always exist in a stat sheet, but who are we going to promote? Hey, do you remember this guy? And the reality is, is that you start looking at it, you have to bring up Shohei Otani if he mm. does this for five seasons more. Yeah, 20 years on the line when people bring their kids to the Hall of Fame and you walk past this plaque, oh, who is Shohei Otani? Oh, well, for five years, baseball was in wonder because this this guy did this. Yeah, like we, we remember Babe Ruth, and it's like we're going we're gonna to not do it with this other guy who did it better in a harder era. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I and that's, that's, again, that's where for me it's like, we we got to figure this out. We yeah. got we got to figure out how do you recognize that we're trying to immortalize a person mm-hmm. because the history of the game needs it. Absolutely. So the last little tidbit I'll I'll leave you with because this is a this is a, a Mets podcast sometimes too <laughs> is uh, Juan Soto uh, last night playing uh, uh, against the Mets set put up a little Instagram post of himself standing and looking up into the stands at City Field and the Big Apple is in the back. And he he 
essentially writes uh, that I can't do I can't do this alone. The the let the chips fall fall where they may. He hashtags um, New York future and dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got three years of arbitration left, I believe. Yep. And he is a young man. Is he is he coming to New York? In three years or next year? Is he year? coming to New York next year? Well, I'd imagine we're going to have an opening in right field based on numbers. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Mike. Um, okay, so we did this last podcast. We're going to do another one. You want to trade for Juan Soto. Everything that I offered for Trout. Minus the first, minus, minus the, the two, minus two, two first-round picks yes. that I'm actually not allowed to trade in baseball. Which is bull, but we'll talk about that later. Um. Yes, I, I do the same thing. Same trade for Juan Soto. And the reason why I do it for Juan versus I do I, I would do the same trade for a guy like Trout is that Juan's twenty two, mm-hmm. Trout's thirty one, and he's what, what's the contract for Soto? So you the trade contract for, for Soto is everything when you get to it. Well, the question is, are they going to buy out the arbitration years like they do with a guy like Tatis? And his his contract actually only ends up working out to be that he's making thirty million dollars a year. I think so. I know a lot of people were kind of like on the fence about Tatis's because the the yearly was lower, but yeah. he got his longevity and whatever. Um, I actually like that, yes. especially especially for like Steve Cohen being like, "Hey, this is financially makes more sense for us. We can go sign more people because yeah. our, our will be under cap." If if they did that, yes, I'm all for gives give Soto his money long term, less per year. Yeah, super down. So I, again, I, I'm going t- ten years. Right, three hundred million dollars. Ten years, three hundred fifty million dollars. I and I don't think that that's a he'd be he'd be aged thirty. I think his back commands more money than Lindor's did. No, con, he his contract is not like his defense is not Mike Trout. Sure, that's fine. So I'm like not my, saying my my thing is yeah, is that that's, that's why, why it's not going to be four hundred because because again, what's Tatis? Tatis is what. Oh goodness, I don't remember. It's like he gets like twenty four million. Three hundred thirty million, fourteen yeah. years. Yeah. So again, my my deal's better. Yeah. He's fourteen year deal. I'm a ten year deal. So Juan Soto theoretically on a ten year deal gets to double dip again too. Yeah, he'll be he'll be thirty two. He'll be thirty two if he's still in prime of his career. Again, you you're looking at a guy like Trout now. You 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 say that Juan Soto's a guy who moves to first base or moves to DH and just hits in his back half of his life. Mm-hmm. Like so, then you're talking that that Soto is going to be in a situation where. Like he gets to double dip, yeah. Ten years, thirty-five million dollars a year, like three fifty, for sure. And I, his agent would have to consider that because what he's going to make next year is under ten million dollars. Yep. I just want to point out the Nationals in no way would ever trade Soto. Absolutely, no way. Nope. So then this becomes a question: Is he going to the Yankees? Because because Juan's a Juan's Dominican, and for those who are here who don't understand New York, right? If if he's in the Bronx or Queens and he's a Dominican dude, he's got his life is here. The, his people are here. Like from a from a being able to culturally integrate and ha- have enjoyment and find the foods and the culture and the things that you want, it exists here for him. Absolutely. And I think that's why he enjoys coming to New York. Period. Listen, he sentence. said the Big Apple. He didn't say City Field. Facts, which is yeah. where where we're now getting to. The Yankees don't currently have a need for a right fielder unless they traded that right fielder for pitching. 
I'm just going to leave the episode at that. I'm going to walk away. As always, Bill wants to get rid of Aaron Judge. Guys, thanks for listening. Let us know what you thought of the podcast. Let us know what you thought of the Field of Dreams game, all that good stuff. Again, make sure you like and subscribe, and we will see you on the next episode. Appreciate you guys. Baseball lifestyle. It's my lifestyle. <laughs>